right, so we are going to be talking. It's Thanksgiving week. We're going to be talking about gratitude. We're going to be talking about counting blessings. And so I'm actually going to begin today by reading a passage from Genesis chapter 12. This is Genesis 12, 1 through 3. It says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, all right, I don't know about you, but for me, it's a little bit hard to believe. Here we are at the beginning of the week of Thanksgiving. It just, to me, it came on very suddenly. For those of you, maybe, who need a little help keeping track, right, what that means this year, this year, is that Christmas Day is five weeks from this morning, okay? I don't know if that comes as a shock to you like it does to me, but five weeks from today is Christmas Day. Now, again, that might not be a shock to you. I mean, I know Christmas decorations in my neighborhood started going up before Halloween was even over. I get that. Karen and I went on a two-week vacation. We had a wonderful time. But before we left, uh, before Halloween, there really were no Christmas decorations up. By the time we got back on November 5th, Christmas decorations were absolutely everywhere. We, in fact, we usually wait till Thanksgiving, okay? But we had to throw out our tree last year. It was getting pretty old and decrepit, so we went and bought a new tree, and we figured, fine, join the crowd. We went ahead last weekend and set up the new tree. So that's great, right? So don't get me wrong, right? There is nothing wrong with celebrating Christmas early for beginning that celebration early. There's nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, that's well, probably not the right day to say this, but you get started early, you get a little bit warmer weather, you might have missed that window. Uh, it's 18 degrees out there or something when I came in this morning, so that's all right. And, you know, Karen and I actually saw this somewhere one time years ago. I think we saw it actually on a T-shirt. It's never too early to celebrate the birth of our Savior. All right? I, I like that. It's never too early to celebrate the birth of our Savior. But, right, at the same time, it really does just sometimes feel to me nowadays, that Thanksgiving just kind of gets a raw deal. It's kind of like it's this holiday that's kind of, you got to squeeze in after the Halloween decorations have all come down, even though the Christmas decorations are already up, and we're celebrating that, we got to do the Thanksgiving thing. We got to do that and get that out of the way. And I really think that's too bad. I really think that's too bad because it's really important that we not overlook Thanksgiving, that we take time to celebrate and really appreciate Thanksgiving as a holiday kind of in its own right. So I want to talk a little bit about the uh, Thanksgiving traditions. Uh, we have some very, very specific Thanksgiving traditions in my family. Do any of you have Thanksgiving traditions? That it's like you got to do this or it's just not the right day. I bet some of you do. So we've always done the whole Thanksgiving dinner thing, right? We shoot to have a, a kind of mid to late afternoon meal, a uh, little earlier than we would normally. We shoot for that anyway. You know, we have the whole turkey and, and mashed potatoes and stuffing and sweet potato casserole and cranberry sauce and, or maybe cranberry jelly. Do we even get into that debate? 
I'm amazed at how passionate people are. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Cranberry sauce. Come on. Yeah. Okay. Cranberry jelly. Yeah, okay, right? So it's like 50-50. I think this is why people are so passionate about it. It's like what you like is what you like. I, you could just do both, right? I guess you do both. Maybe you do do both. I don't know. My house, we have some desserts that you got to have every year. So there's like this selection. We don't do all of them because that really would be too much. We always have to have kind of a selection among the whole pecan pie, pumpkin pie. Uh, my family tradition, banana pudding is a big deal. This year, actually, Karen asked if I would, I'm the baker, I'm the pie baker in the family, if I'd make a peach pie this year. So think about me on Wednesday. That's what I'll be doing. I'll be making a peach pie. Another one of our traditions is after dinner's over, we, we pull out, we get out a Christmas jigsaw puzzle. I've shown that in sermons before, actually. And we start that puzzle, usually on Thanksgiving night, to try to have it done by Christmas Eve. And I know a lot of you, I know a lot of other people have some other great family traditions, like going out for a Thanksgiving buffet or Thanksgiving meal in a restaurant instead of eating at home. And that's fantastic. I, I think that's great. I know some families who have a traditional football game or travel to visit relatives where the whole family gets together. Uh, that's great. And I actually know some families who I think this is really fantastic, who instead of making and having the big dinner at home, they actually go to a homeless shelter and they serve Thanksgiving dinner to the folks there rather than having their own big dinner. And that is, that is just a fantastic way to celebrate the, ho the holiday. But another tradition that we never, I don't know why, we never really did this in my family growing up, but my sister-in-law, Karen's sister, actually started doing this a number of years ago, and I think it's kind of cool, is to go around the table at the Thanksgiving dinner and have everyone who's there actually say one thing that they're thankful for over the course of years. Anybody else do that? For, uh, no? There were a few. There were a few. Okay, a few back there, a few um, at first service too who said they do that. And I think that's fantastic. I really do. It's a great way to maybe be a little bit more intentional about reminding us all of what this holiday is really supposed to be all about, about getting us to think about the blessings we've received over the course of the year. Because, you know, Alyssa kind of alluded this earlier, too, in her prayer. Truth be told, we probably don't really do that as often as we ought to. In the busyness of our culture, we're always busy. Things going on all the time. It's really easy for us to just take the blessings that we receive for granted. To just have them come, take them for granted, to never really take time with intentionality to kind of step back and count our blessings, to step back and count our blessings. Now, I'm going to get just a little bit vulnerable with you up here today. I'm going to make a confession to you that you probably don't want your pastor to make, but I'm going to make this confession, which is this phrase, count your blessings, actually has some like, it, it makes these very negative emotions rise up in me. And I, I think that's terrible right? That's why I'm kind of owning it up here in front of you, but I just got to get that out right up front. It really does. And I think it's because the way that I mostly remember hearing that phrase growing up, it made me feel guilty or ashamed, or maybe it was because it got used in kind of a disciplinary way, right? Because it would be like whenever one of my friends had something I wanted, or got to do something I wanted to do, and I'd ask about it and get told no, it would be, and you need to count your blessings, right? I mean, that's just how I remember hearing it. It'd be like, Mom, you know, Mike gets a bigger allowance than I get. Can I get a bigger allowance? No, and you need to count your blessings, young man. 
That's, that's how I heard that phrase. I don't know, apparently I whined and complained about stuff enough to hear it a lot, okay? I don't know. And so that's why it's just I hear that phrase, and it's like all those negative memories kind of come back. It's, so, but even so, right, even though this phrase evokes these kind of negative memories and emotions in me, of course, I grew up to realize that learning to count our blessings really is a very positive thing. It's a very positive thing for us to do. And later, really later, as I became a student of the Bible, I very quickly found that from a biblical perspective, it really is absolutely imperative that we do this. We're actually told to take time to do it. In fact, it, it, when you look at the Bible, the very earliest laws of Judaism, you know, the book of Leviticus, which you don't preach on a whole lot, but it provided a very specific way for the Israelites to come before God to acknowledge all the blessings they'd receive from him and then to give a thanksgiving offering in gratitude. And what we find there in Leviticus is that the way the way that offering was supposed to be offered to God was prescribed very specifically. It was defined by God how to make that offering, but it was even then a completely voluntary act. It was something you did voluntarily, even though it was very well defined. So, and that day, if the harvest is particularly bountiful, you might decide to go to the altar and present a thanksgiving offering to God for the bounty of the harvest. Whenever a child was born, whenever someone recovered from an illness, even if a relationship that was broken was healed, you would go to God, take God a thanksgiving offering, and present it to God. And again, the laws around how these offerings were supposed to be presented, I think, you know, what they were, they were trying, they were a way to try to keep in the forefront of people's minds that God was the source of every blessing that happened in their lives. So, you know, whenever something wonderful, something good happens in your life, the Old Testament law said you should choose to go to the altar and give God thanks for that blessing. And so over time, what this law actually led to in Israel was this very deep understanding that to actually count every blessing from God would be virtually impossible. Impossible. Psalm 40, verse 5 says this, You, Lord my God, You've done so many things. Your wonderful deeds and your plans for us, no one can compare with you. If I were to proclaim and talk about all of them, they would be too numerous to count. You know what? A lot of scholars, a lot of historians actually believe this verse, Psalm 40, verse 5, is actually where this whole idea of counting your blessings, where that actually stems from. So you see, when the law prescribed that you really ought to bring a thanksgiving offering to God for every blessing you received, then you kind of automatically got in this mindset of kind of keeping track. You automatically counted your blessings. And the enormity of those blessings, it was always kind of right there, right there in front of you. 
And Israel had these stories, right? It's these stories of God's creation, of the universe, of God's relationship with all of their ancestors. These stories reinforced in them this very firm, absolute belief that God's greatest desire, God's greatest desire was to bestow his favor upon them, to give them his blessing. They remember that Genesis 5, verses 1 and 2 from the creation says, when God created humanity, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them. He blessed them. So God specifically gave Adam and Eve his blessing. As you continue to read through the whole Old Testament, you find stories of God bestowing his blessing very intentionally on every successive generation. You see it again on Noah, and then Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and Moses, and Joshua. Almost every one of Israel's ancestors has a specific story about God intentionally pouring out his favor, pouring out his blessing upon them. And what these stories kind of communicated to God's people was that the kind of relationship God wanted with these people whom he had created was one in which he would shower them with blessing, would shower them with his favor, and in return, they would acknowledge that blessing to God, and they would then testify to other people about how God was the source of their blessings. And that's kind of, it's, it's really what we see happening in this story that I opened with, this account from Genesis between God and Abraham in today's scripture lesson. So we got to remember this story of Abraham is extraordinarily early in the entire biblical narrative, very early. It's Genesis chapter 12. It's one of the earliest stories in the whole Bible. The only real stories that come before this in the Bible are the story of creation, the story of Noah and the flood, and the story of Tower of Babel. The very next thing that happens in the Bible is this story of God's blessing of Abraham. So very early in humanity's history, God kind of chooses this, this random guy, Abram. His name originally is Abram. It's changed to Abraham. And he says, Abram, I need you to pick up everything that you've got and go to a place that I'm going to show you. He says, Abram, if, if you'll just trust me, if you'll have faith in my promise, if you'll allow me to use you in this way, he says, Abram, I am going to give you a blessing that is way beyond what I have given any other human being who came before you. He says, Abram, from you, a great nation will arise. You will have descendants beyond number, and I will give you a great name that everyone on earth will revere. But God also says, but Abram, Abram, when I do this for you, I do expect something in return. I expect you to bless other people in the same way that I have blessed you. And he says that because Abram, see, my goal is to bless every single person on the face of this planet every single person. And he says, Abram, it is through you and your descendants that I'm going to make that happen. The end of that scripture said, God promising to Abraham, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Just imagine that. And, and folks, this is, just, this is just such a hugely, hugely important 
biblical promise. It is right there at the beginning of the whole story, and it's in the background. It's in the background of everything that we see God doing in the rest of the biblical story. And it's really, it's because later in the New Testament, it's because of this promise that the whole world will be blessed through Abraham, that the Apostle Paul later in this, the book of Romans, he takes a lot of page space. He spills a lot of ink talking about the fact that everyone who follows Jesus should be considered a descendant of Abraham. Whether they're his actual biological descendants or not, he writes, he, Abraham, is the father of all who believe. So see, Paul recognized that, that God's promise to bless the whole world would ultimately be fulfilled through Jesus. And Jesus, of course, was. Jesus was a biological descendant of Abraham in fulfillment of that promise. But Paul also realized after Jesus' death and resurrection, that promise would be fulfilled through everyone who followed Jesus. And that included a lot of people like us who weren't biologically Abraham's descendants. So Paul's logic was kind of like this, right? If God promised to bless the world through Abraham's descendants, and Paul now is looking around and seeing that blessing happening through Gentiles, through non-Jews, through non-descendants of Abraham, then somehow they've got to be considered descendants of Abraham. And what he realized was that God's promise was really all about faith. Faith. What had led to God's blessing of Abraham was that Abraham had acted out of a pure faith in the word of God. God said, go, and in faith Abraham trusted that word and went. And it was because of that faith in the word of God that God blessed Abraham. And what Paul realized that that implies was that everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God incarnate, also participates in Abraham's blessing. And that ultimately, ultimately in God's plan, it is these Christ followers who are the people through whom God's blessing is meant to reach into the entire world. And of course, that has just huge, huge implications for us who follow Christ. Because what it means for us is that us, we, the, all of us, who are blessed just as Abraham was blessed, have a duty, a calling, and even a responsibility to share that blessing with the world. And I think that, you know, when we take time with intentionality to count our blessings, to seriously reflect, seriously reflect upon all the blessings God has bestowed upon us, the favors God has bestowed on us. Well, one thing it does is it kind of marginalizes our complaints and, and our worries about what we don't have. I think that was kind of what my mom had in mind, right, when she told me to count my blessings. And it does that. It marginalizes those things. But it also shows us just how much opportunity we really do have to share those blessings with the world, to be part of God's plan to transform the world through his blessing, just like he promised Abraham that he would. You know, if, when you look at, at, at the sermon series that we're in right now, the little subtitle in that sermon series says, Everyone Matters to God. 
Everyone matters to God. So I think it's really important to emphasize that when God says we're to be a blessing to the world, to the world, that's what he means. That we are blessed to be a blessing to the whole world. He doesn't mean to be a blessing only to some people in the world, to be a blessing to the people in my circle of friends and family or to the people in the world who agree with my political beliefs or my religious beliefs or, or my moral beliefs. He means to be a blessing and to bestow our favor on the world. The world. And we know this is true because Jesus said so in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus taught us there that God's character is to pour out his blessing upon the entire world, regardless of whether they even acknowledge God as the source of those blessings or not. Jesus says in Matthew 5:45, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, the earliest church theologians came to refer to this as common grace, common grace. The kind of it's the blessing that God does, just pours out. Everyone receives this blessing of God regardless of their nationality, their religion, their politics, their morals. None of that matters. And it's important to realize that the reason Jesus teaches this is so people will understand if they really want to be the kind of people God intended us to be when God created us, they won't just share their blessings with people they know and love, their friends and family. They'll share them even with the people that they consider their enemies. In fact, this, folks, this is ultimately what Jesus means by love your enemies. To be willing to share your blessings that you've received from God with everyone and anyone indiscriminately. Just like God shares that common grace with all of humanity indiscriminately. This is why the, the passage I read, God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous is immediately followed up by these words of Jesus. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, pour out your common grace. Pour out your blessing upon everyone, everyone. Folks, at, at its very root, this calling to acknowledge God as the source of our blessings and then to be a blessing to the entire world because everyone matters to God, that's what underlies all of our very uniquely American Thanksgiving traditions. So George Washington, George Washington called upon the newly independent American people to set aside a day to give thanks to God for bringing the Revolutionary War to an end and to be a blessing to other people by encouraging everyone who lived in tyranny across the globe to seek God's help 
to emerge out from under it. That's the very first American Thanksgiving. And years later, years later, Abraham Lincoln instituted Thanksgiving as a federal holiday. Why? Well, so that the American people would give thanks to God for bringing the Civil War to a conclusion, but also to encourage the American people in both the North and the South to share the blessings God had given them with both friend and former foe, former enemy, as a way to begin to reunite a broken country. Think about that for a minute. All right, let that sink in. The original purpose of the federal holiday of Thanksgiving was to take time to count our blessings and then share them with friend and foe as a way to help reunite a broken country. Makes you wonder, makes me wonder, could it be that right now, this year, we have an opportunity to soften hearts that are threatening to tear us apart through the simple act of taking the time to count our blessings this Thanksgiving? Could it be that if we took seriously the very clear scriptural teaching that we are blessed to be a blessing to the entire world, even those we strongly disagree with, that we might grow closer to the heart of God this Thanksgiving? And could it be that if we did, we might actually be better prepared to celebrate the birth of our Savior this Christmas, to demonstrate our thankfulness for the greatest gift of all by actually behaving the way he taught us to behave, by striving to demonstrate the kind of perfect love that shares its blessings with everyone. Well, I think so. And so I pray that this Thanksgiving, all of us will remember not only to count our blessings, but to then be the kind of blessing to the world that is truly transformational. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.